Jeremiah 9.12 says, Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that he may declare it? For what the land, for what the land perisheth, and is burned up like a wilderness that none passeth through. And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them, till I have consumed them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider ye, and call for the morning, for the morning women, that they may come, and send for cunning women, that they may come, and let them make haste, and take up a wailing for us, that our eyes may run down with tears, and our eyelids gush out with waters. For a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled? We are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land, because our dwellings have cast us out. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O ye women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth, and teach your daughters wailing, and every one her neighbor lamentation. For death is come up into our windows, and is entered into our palaces, to, go, to cut off the children from without and the young men from the streets. Speak, thus saith the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field, as a handful after the harvestmen, and none shall gather them. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but that him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And I'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word, Lord, we just ask that you would guide, help me as I am speaking this morning to be clear, um, that you would use the words that I speak to reach our hearts, Lord, um, and Lord, that you would be glorified in what is said this morning. We just ask for your, your guidance, your strength, as we continue this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. On Thursday, Thursday I think was the December 1st, if I'm not mistaken, I knew it was the beginning of December and I commented at the beginning of our Bible study, there's only one month left to finish reading through the Bible this year, if that was your goal. And someone commented, only once? <laughs> but I was thinking about that and what I've been preaching on the last couple of weeks about repentance and just having sorrow over our sin, having shame over the things that we do that are not pleasing to God. And so 
part of that, and what kind of struck my mind was, and I've experienced this in my life personally, which is why I, I realize this, this is a factor. And a part of this is that that daily Bible reading, that time of prayer, that fellowship, and the closeness with God is hindered by our sin, of course. But you know what I find, and I've experienced this in my life, is that when I'm burdened with something that I haven't made right before God, if I haven't come to God and dealt with whatever the sin is that I'm aware of in my life, you know, I find it really hard to take that time and read and pray <laughs> because there's a guilt in me and I'm like, it prevents me from taking the time and doing the things that I'm supposed to do to further that relationship with the Lord. And yet, neglecting those things just perpetuates that problem and makes it worse. We need to get on it and deal with the sin so that we're not hindered in furthering that relationship. And this is... Reading through Jeremiah, um, not a lot of happiness going on in this book. Um, and Jeremiah is dealing with the nation of Israel. God's in the process of judging them. They're, about, they're going into captivity into Babylon. Um, and Jeremiah is like this last voice, just crying out for them to repent, to turn from the things that they've been doing and to turn back to God. And he gives an interesting instruction here. Um, I've looked at Ezra each of the last two weeks, just briefly last week. But in Ezra, as they're coming out of captivity, they're coming out of captivity and they're starting to rebuild the temple. And as they read the law, they become aware of the instruction that God's given. And they realize that a lot of them have been breaking one, one area in particular in, in marrying and having relationships with people outside of Israel. They've joined in marriage to the people that aren't God's people. And same applies for us too, right? We're not supposed to do that. And Ezra comes before God and before the people in this prayer, and he falls on his face, hands to the ground, spread out before God, ashamed even to lift up his face to the Lord because of the sin. And I've been saying we need to get to a point where we see our sin that seriously, that we're ashamed to look up and even lift up our face before God in prayer. And that's, I've been, when I say like, when, I'm, when I feel that, and I'm, I'm ashamed to read my Bible and take prayer time, because I know there's something that I haven't dealt with. Well, I need to deal with the thing, instead of just pushing God aside and, and pretending the problem isn't there, right? 
And that's what Jeremiah is really dealing with. I'm just going to go through a few aspects in this passage that we read and look at a way of dealing with some of these things. And he starts off, who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? For what the land perisheth and is burned up like a wilderness. Now, the phrasing of that verse might be a little confusing, but really what he's, he's looking at, the land is going to perish and be burned up like a wilderness. And who's the wise man that understands why this is happening? We need some wisdom to realize what God is doing and what his purposes is in the things that are taking place in our lives. If, we, if we're facing all kinds of problems in life, when we wreck our knee and cut our fingers off, is God trying to get our attention, or is this just bad luck? <laughs> and if we don't turn to God and use some wisdom, and it's like, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> then it's all for nothing, right? We need to be a wise man and turn to God and understand why these things are happening in our life. That God, the Bible says that God chastens those that he loves. If you're being chastened by God, it's time to deal with the thing that he's trying to get your attention about. It says in verse 13, The Lord saith, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. So there's a question, who's the wise man that can discern this thing? And just in case there wasn't anybody that had that discernment, he gives you the answer to the problem. It's because... You've forsaken my law. And you, you're not, you haven't obeyed my voice and you haven't walked in the path that I gave you to walk. But, but, instead of doing those things, instead of obeying God's law and walking after his commandments, it says you've walked after the imagination of, of your own heart. That's a problem, isn't it? We walk after the imagination of our own heart. Uh, last week I, I mentioned 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. I said this is a good verse to memorize. Where it says we're cast, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against. I should have memorized it myself. But it says bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're to cast down imaginations and bring into captivity every thought. You have any thoughts this week that weren't in captivity to the obedience of Christ? I sure did. We're supposed to bring those into captivity. We're supposed to control those thoughts and not let our imagination carry on 
doing its own thing, making its own values, its own standards. But we're to look to the word, to God's word, to come up with the standards that we live by, not by our own imagination of what might be right or wrong. If you want to turn with me, there's a few, just a few passages here on this idea of, it says, they've walked after the imagination of their own heart. The imagination of their own heart. If you turn to Romans chapter 1, there's a major consequence of following the imagination of our own heart. Romans chapter 1, we start in verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And it goes on to describe the further downhill slide that all these things lead to. But the point, they hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because God's revealed the truth to every single one of us. It says, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. There's not a single person on the planet that can't look around at what God created and know that something, someone made this. And then we have in us a conscience that God has given. He said, the Bible says he has written the law on our hearts. We know the difference between good and evil just naturally. And when we ignore that and go completely against it like our world has, God judges. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. When we know to do right and we don't do it, that's a problem. And God will judge those things. If you want to continue with me over to James chapter 1. Right near the end, right after Hebrews. James chapter 1. And just one verse here, verse 26. It 
Remember again, in Jeremiah, it talks about the imagination of their heart. Verse 26 of James 1 says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. If we bridle not our tongue, but deceive our own heart, our religion is vain. There's something about our tongue being tied with what's in our heart. If you want to look at Matthew chapter 15, Jesus speaks on that exact issue. The conversation starts in verse 10, um, goes a little off topic, and then comes back around in verse 15. So I'll start in verse 15. It says, Then answered Peter, and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. It's what comes out of our mouth that defiles us. And it's more than words. It's more than just... When, when we look at James, it says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, it's not just talking about cursing and swearing and foul language, which... Bible certainly speaks on. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Jesus points to what comes out of our heart that comes and then out of our mouth. It's evil thoughts, murders. You ever murdered somebody with your tongue? <laughs> with the words that you say? I'm sure every one of us has. Adulteries. Fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. There's a lot that defiles us from what comes out of our mouth. Ephesians chapter 4 gives Ephesians 4 verse 29 just gives some more instruction on controlling our mouth controlling our tongue let no corrupt sorry Ephesians 4 verse 29 says let no corrupt communication Proceed out of your mouth, 
but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The next verse is, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. As in, well, there's more to it than just the corrupt communication, but that's a part of the things that we say can grieve the Holy Spirit. When we know that that's happening in us, when I know that corrupt communication is coming out of my mouth, there's a guy I occasionally watch some videos of on YouTube, claims to be a Christian, and yet he curses. So he, he opened his video with prayer, but then he curses and swears throughout his presentation of what he was talking about. There's something wrong there. There's corrupt communication coming out of this mouth. And James 1 says that man's religion is vain. Like, it's just words because it's not in his heart, obviously, because what's in his heart is coming out of his mouth. What's coming out of our mouths determines or shows, reveals what's in our hearts. We need to be careful of that. We need to bridle our tongue. One more passage here, if we go all the way back into Isaiah, just before Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 6. It's funny, I was trying to come up with this passage I knew it had come into my mind during the week. And when I was writing this down, I could not for the life of me figure out what this verse was or what, what it said. I, even the ability to look it up, I just couldn't come up with any words to look up. And then I'm listening to some preaching last night on a completely different topic. And he reads this passage. I'm like, that's the one! <laughs> I, I like that kind of thing. That God shows us things, even this morning. I had verses come to mind that added to what I was trying to say. But Ephesians, or sorry, Isaiah chapter 6, oh, let's start in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it's, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And verse 5 says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, well, he's got a bit of an advantage over us, 
that he, he gets to see <laughs> this image of God before him. But if you open your Bible and you start to read, as we've been doing today, you've seen him. You've heard his words speaking to you. And in particular, we've been talking about what comes out of our mouth. We need to have the exact response that Isaiah had here. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. That recognition of my sinfulness before God ought to make me, like Ezra, fall on my face, ashamed. Or like Isaiah, terrified. Because understanding the holiness of God, when he's presented, these angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Man, when we can understand how holy he is, man, that should make us terrified when we realize who we are, the condition of our hearts, and what comes out of our mouth reveals what's in our hearts. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you, you've had a perfect week and nothing came out of your mouth that revealed any, any bitterness, anger, or jealousy, or anything else that might not be pleasing to God. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're doing better than I am. But, but I read this, and I, I need to say, woe is me. I need to bow before God and say, I am undone. I'm terrified at your holiness and my sinfulness. There's nothing I can do to fix me other than present myself before God and look to Christ. That sacrifice that we pictured with communion. Because without that, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm headed straight for hell for eternity without somebody intervening because there is no way that in my current state I could possibly ever enter into God's presence. That's what Isaiah understood here. That with that holy God, he knew who he was in comparison and it's never going to meet the standard. None of us ever will. Which is why we need, we need to come to that point where it's like, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> and then we look to Christ and say, he's already done it. I just have to believe that. Put my complete faith in what he's already done for me. And it's done. And now I can come to God. I can turn to him and I can read his word and I can lift up my face before him in praise that my sins are covered. 
And I can move on from that. In his strength, not in mine. The verses we've been reading speak of what's coming out of our own heart. The imaginations and this Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 14 again it said they've walked after the imaginations of their own heart and we see the result of that should end in self-condemnation. But you know there's an offering of a cleansed heart If you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's an offer to us. We can draw near to God in full assurance. No doubt. Like, full assurance. It's not dependent on what I do today or tomorrow or, or a month down the road. It's full assurance. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Like, what is he talking about? He's talking about putting our faith in the blood that was shed on the cross for our sin. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he... We don't hold fast like I got to hang on to this thing and not let go, otherwise I'm going to lose it. I can hold fast to it because he is faithful that promised. It's not me hanging on, it's him. It's not going to let go of me. And I can, I can grasp that and put my faith in that. That once I've put my faith in his blood on the cross for my sin, that I don't have to live in fear of that judgment anymore. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing now I can do. Again, Romans 6, 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. <laughs> right? There's nothing that can condemn me once I put my faith in Christ. Now there's some things that I ought to do to have that good relationship and to please God in my life. And there's a lot of instruction on what to do. And that's what we're dealing with is trying to get a heart that's right and as sorry for those things that aren't pleasing to God so that we can have that fantastic relationship, that communion with God, that when we get up in the morning... He's the first thought on our mind. And when we go to bed at night, he's the last thing that we think of. And that all the other problems in life are so minor 
because he is so glorious. Just go back to, to James for a moment, James chapter 4 this time. Again, just one verse out of this. Maybe a couple. <laughs> James chapter 4. Um, let's just do verse, start verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another. Like, but verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. The whole point of everything I'm trying to say is come to God. Don't let those things in your life stop you from coming to him and getting those things right. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Like he'll, he's there, he's waiting. The offer's open. I don't have time to finish everything that I wanted to say this morning, but I'm going to turn back to Jeremiah and look at this just briefly for a moment. We get to verse 17, Jeremiah chapter 9. We get to verse 17. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider ye and call for the mourning women. Mourning as in sorrowful. That they may come. And send for cunning women that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing force that our eyes may run down with tears, and our eyelids gush out with waters. We need to call for some people that know how to mourn and wail and you know his opening line in this chapter? Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. It's like, I need to learn how to weep over my sin. I need some people that know how to do this. And I, oh, that my head were a fountain, or my head were waters. It's like, my, my eyes are dry. I'm not crying over my sin. That's a problem. I need to, to fill up my head with water that my eyes can be like a fountain. Crying out before the Lord in sorrow over our sin. And when we get to verse 20, 
says, Yet hear the word of the Lord, O ye women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth, and teach your daughters wailing, and every one her neighbor lamentation. We need to be taught to be sorrowful over our sin. I'll close with 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7. I'll start in, in verse 3, just to give the overall picture of what's being said here. It says, I speak not this to condemn you. So keep that in mind. I speak not this to condemn you. For I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Are you exceeding joyful in all your tribulation? Verse 5 says, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, with, without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind towards me, so that I rejoiced the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle that hath made you sorry, though it was were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this manner. Now, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, I mentioned during communion, that that entire book of 1 Corinthians is just filled with issue after issue after issue of problems in that church in Corinth. And he dealt with those things and he wrote this letter. And it says that letter made them sorrowful. And he says, I rejoice that you sorrowed. But not that you were, that I made you sorrowful, but that you sorrowed to repentance. You actually fixed the problems. What a revelation. <laughs> Do we fix the problems that are revealed to us in our lives? Like the Corinthian church? We like to poke at the Corinthian church as being this carnal church that's got all this 
trouble. But when they were, when someone dealt with those things and corrected them in them, they were sorrowful and they actually dealt with those things and corrected the problems. Are we like that? Do you have a soft enough heart to actually be sorrowful when being corrected, when facing what's the, the sin in your life? So verse 9 says, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. And you know, verse 11 is such an encouragement. And I think this is where we need to realize all of what I'm saying is to bring us to this stage, to bring us to verse 11, that if we can sorrow over our sin, to get on our face before God and deal with those things, to deal with our hearts. It says, for behold, this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sorrow, what carefulness it wrought in you. And then he just, it's like trying to explain what he sees as a result, what, Tim, what Titus came back reporting. It says, carefulness, clearing of yourselves, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, revenge, Revenge. It's like the things that I've done bad, I'm doing twice as much of good and I'm counteracting every bad word that's ever come out of my mouth is double in praise to God now. I'm revenging those things. Not revenge in a bad way. Revenge in goodness and glory to God. Zeal. These people became zealous, or zealots, for God because of the sorrow over the sin that was revealed in their life. And when they sorrowed over that thing and they repented and got on their face before God and dealt with the things, the zeal was revealed as a result. And the power of God gets put in us through those things. What a, what a wonderful, what an amazing description of this church in these, this one verse, these, little, these few little words are almost beyond description of the change in those people. Do you want that to be the description of you? I want it to be the description of me. What carefulness it wrought in you. You ever think, what does that mean? Like, what carefulness? Like, I look at every aspect, every detail of my life with a fine-tooth comb going through it. And I'm going to get rid of everything that's not pleasing to God. And I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to make it right. I'm going to change my attitudes. I'm going to fix what's coming out of my mouth. And stop doing those things that are not pleasing to God. What carefulness. And we'll 
soft at that point. It's pretty. Lord God, we just, as we look at these verses, these examples, even Isaiah, who says, Woe is me, I am undone, because he recognized his own sinfulness before a holy God. Help us to recognize ourselves like that, to get on our face before you, Lord, confessing those sins and making them right and letting you work in our lives that we would be zealous for you, Lord, that we would shine as lights in this dark world. Lord, that's our desire this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would just work in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.